The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, thought to us, that we may not perish? So let's pray. And as we engage into the scripture, uh, I want to get our hearts ready as uh, Randall will come up and uh, teach us about the scripture. Father, uh, Lord, I want to thank you, first and foremost, for your awesome, awesome name. Lord, we thank you for your church. This is your church and yours alone. Lord, we pray that we glorify Jesus. Lord, may uh, the scripture tell us who you are so we can know you. May we love you uh, because we get to know you. Lord, I pray for Randall's heart. I pray that the Holy Spirit leads him lets him discern it, lets him wrestle with the text. And as we listen, that we wrestle as well. Lord, I pray for each and everyone's hearts here today, that our eyes uh, and our ears are open. Lord, let the meditation, the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to your sight, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Thanks, buddy. All right, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. All right. Well, my name is Randall. If I haven't met you yet, glad you're here this morning. Uh, We're going to be jumping into the book of Jonah for the next month. And I'm excited because I've talked to some people here and there and they said, I've never studied the book of Jonah before. Um, So I'm really looking forward to that because they say, you know, I know the part about the, the big fish swallowing him, but that's really all I know. And so today we're going to dive in, uh, starting in those first six uh, verses, looking at this story, because I believe that this story uh, has some transformative power uh, in our lives that we need to see, because, uh, you know, Jonah, a lot of the times he gets this bad rap. Jonah's this this terrible guy running from God, running, you know, and why would he do that? Um, But this book can sum up, be summed up like this, learning to love a city, Learning to love a city. And so our text is Jonah 1, 1 through 6. And, and the message is a sign from heaven. So one of the things we talked about, and Christina did really well in the uh, announcement portion, is this. Our, our vision, and we talked about it last week on Vision Sunday, is to be a church for our city that seeks new life in Jesus. Um, and one of the, the heart things about that vision is this, that, that we want to not run from the city, but run into the city and see how we can be a, a help, a blessing because of what Jesus has done in our lives. So we have hope for our city. We have hope for San Diego. Um, and one of the things that uh, Timothy Keller, as he's done some research in, on just cities in our, in our culture, in our generation, and he, here's what he says about cities. He says, the church has to be everywhere there are people. 
but the people are moving into the city faster than the church. If you love what God loves, you will love the city. We should sacrificially lay our lives out for people in the city. People should see that we care about them, that we love them. You know, and so that's what we talked about last week as we talked about uh, the Sadiq, the, the righteous. What does the, the life of the righteous look like? It's people who lay down their lives for the sake of others because Jesus has laid down his life for us. And so as we looked at that vision, that's what we talked about. And that's why we wanted to go through the book of Jonah, because I think, again, it's not like we just got these, these loving, fuzzy feelings about the city, so we're just going to go love the city. But we have to deal with some of the truth about who we are. And as we look at Jonah, here's the thing that I see. I see a lot of myself in Jonah. I see a lot of myself in Jonah. And so that's what we're going to look at today is where, where do we see our struggles, our, our wantings to run uh, just like Jonah? You see, the focus of this book is not as much on the specific message that Jonah shares or that even God shares with him, but it's really this, that the heart of receiving the message. It's what's his response to hearing the message. As God speaks into his life, as God tells him, here's what I want you to do, what's his response to that? See, that's what we see in the first six verses. And this is really what sets us up for the whole book. See, who is receiving the message of the book of Jonah? Well, we find out in the first uh, couple of verses here that God speaks directly to Jonah himself. And a little bit about Jonah. Now, Jonah is uh, considered one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And uh, Jonah's name means dove. And so it makes sense, you know, as, as he's a dove that's kind of just flying away from his responsibility, saying, I don't want to be here. Um, that's the meaning of his name. And, and what we see in his life is this, that he was set apart by God to be a prophet during the reign of King uh, Jeroboam, who in 2 Kings uh, 14.25 is described as someone who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So Jonah lived during a very evil time in the history of Israel. But he also had this sense of destiny because in 1 Kings 17, uh, we find that uh, there's this other prophet, Elijah. He goes to this house of the, a widow and um, she feeds him. And this widow has a son in the household. And so many uh, believe, Jewish legend believes that Jonah was the son of the widow that met Elijah and fed Elijah. Um, so it was spoken about in 1 Kings 17, 7 through 24. And so we find that as there is this interaction that Jonah had with Elijah, there, there's something that, that kind of catalyzes into his life where there was this sense that, that God was doing something in him. And then he had like this, this spiritual fellowship because in 2 Kings, it writes about uh, Jonah, which would have been during his teenage years, and tells us in 2 Kings that there was this group of prophets, this little youth group, per se, of prophets that were called the sons of the prophets. And he lived during the, the time, and many believe that he was a part of that little small group, along with Amos and, and Hosea. Okay, and so many believe that Jonah was a part of that and was groomed for ministry. So when we think about Jonah's life, he had, there was something special that God was doing in him. 
But then a lot of times we just see him right here, right? We just see him, the guy that's running away from God, but he had followed God for a long time. And then we think about the Ninevites. And so who, who was it that Jonah was expected to go share God's message with? The Ninevites. Well, they were an ancient Mesopotamian city located in modern-day Iraq. And they were this great city with much influence. But the book of Nahum uh, gives a graphic description of the brutality of the Ninevites. So they were a very evil, brutal, cruel people. And that's the specific people that God calls Jonah to go and to preach to. So now let's ask, why did Jonah run? See, it's the same reasons that many of us run from God's call. Discomfort, fear, prejudice, racism, doubt, legalism. See, ultimately at the root, it's our sin that causes us to run. And what we find throughout the Bible is that the prophets were not sinless. See, the only one that's walked the earth that was sinless was Jesus Christ. And so we can relate with Jonah. We can understand why he could have run. But here's the message also of the Bible. It's that God in his grace runs after and pursues undeserving rebels to his will, like Jonah and like the Ninevites. See, Romans 3, uh, 10 through 12 says this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so in God's perspective, Jonah needs God just as much as the Ninevites. And even all of Jonah's spiritual heritage and upbringing, with all of that, this story reveals his personal need for God's unrelenting grace. It tells us that whether you can relate more to Jonah, maybe you've grown up in a Christian environment and you've got all the spiritual heritage and you've been set up really well in your spiritual life, or you can relate to the Ninevites who they were very far from God. We all need God's mercy and grace. See, this should hit all of us today. And so our text again is Jonah 1, 1 through 6. And and what does God's message reveal about Jonah? It reveals three internal truths about him. The first one is this. Number one, it's a present usefulness. A present usefulness. Number two, a rebellious heart. And number three, a needed message. Three things, if you're writing down, a present usefulness, a rebellious heart, and a needed message. So starting in verse one, a present usefulness is what we talked about. Verse one says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. I want to focus on that word now. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. At this point in Jonah's life, he had had spiritual success. Right, he'd spoken the word of God. He'd been faithful to God all of these years. He'd been a part of that group of prophets. He'd had some spiritual success. But again, it's not whether he's been faithful in the past. It's that first word in 
verse one that says, now, now. You see, he was a prophet of God. And most of us think that a prophet of God would have been faithful every time. But what we see is that he ran in this moment, in this particular moment. See, at this point in his life, he could have settled for his past accomplishments rather than his present usefulness that God wanted to work through him and do. See, if we were to think about it in modern day perspective, it would be he'd been to all the youth retreats. He'd spoken at all the youth retreats and conferences. He'd been surrounded with the best mentors. He'd spoken the word of God in palaces to kings like King Jeroboam, who was an evil king. He'd been faithful to God since he was young. And here's the question. Hadn't I done enough? God, haven't I done enough already? What are, you, what are you calling me to do this now? I'm comfortable. Here's a trap. See, trusting in our past accolades rather than trusting in God now and living out his present calling is an extreme danger for all of us. It's an extreme danger. See, after all that Jonah had done in the past, he was presently still trying to hold on to his life. He'd seen God work in the past, but I'm currently not going to live on God's power, on God's strength, on God's calling for my life. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be content with trusting my past and that, God, you're asking too much of me. But here's the truth. God was not done with him yet. God was not done on him yet. God was not done revealing some things in his life and saying, hey, Jonah, I've got some things for you to do. God was not done with him yet. But in this moment, God had to reveal the second part, a rebellious heart. A rebellious heart. You see, why did Jonah go through this? Is to expose who he really was. Verses two and three, here's what it says. It says, God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. See, what we find is that as God's calling, as God speaks into his life, it reveals something about Jonah. It reveals that, again, he's still holding on to some areas of his life that he just didn't want to give over. And so what he does is he runs in the opposite direction. See, Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says, a word, God's word, a word from the Lord is meant to have a clear, fresh light shed upon oneself or society or the nations by the living God. Here's the thing about God. He loves us so much that he'll speak the things that are into our lives that will pull out some of the worst parts of us. It'll pull out some of the worst things in us. Why does he do that? So he, in his grace and his love, can expose it and transform it. That's how much God loves us. And so what was a word from God meant to do? It was an invitation to see things from God's perspective 
See, God wanted Jonah to, to start to see things through his eyes, not through Jonah's eyes. Because as he was to look at this city, Nineveh, he would say, that's the bad place. That, that's, the, that's the evil people. That, that's the people who I don't want to associate with. I don't want to be around them. You see, but God looked at those people and he said, those are people that are in deep need of me. And so he wanted to change Jonah's perspective. He also, uh, it was meant to stretch the listener. Anybody, when, when you ever see the word of, from God coming into somebody's life, it was meant to stretch whoever heard it. See, it wasn't hard to understand. It was hard to obey. It was very simple what God said. It was very clear what God said. But it was very hard to obey. And what it does is it was revealing the rebellious heart and his need for God. God was revealing a nerve in Jonah's life that had never been exposed. And his response was to run from God as far as he could. Verse three says this, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Do you see what it keeps saying again, it, it, it's making it very personal. When it's saying he's trying to run away from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't want that relationship, that intimacy from God. God's speaking to him, but he doesn't want that. So he is trying as hard as he can to flee from the presence of the Lord. That, that phrase literally means that he was running from the face of God. He didn't want to look God in the face. He didn't want to see God face to face because he might have to change. And so he ran. See, what do we do when we don't want to do something? Many times we run, right? Here's the thing. My daughter, Ava, she's five, and she has these spots that she loves to run to when things aren't going her way. And so whenever something comes up, say, hey, Ava, you know, let, let's do this. Like one of the things that I've been trying so hard, I, you know, one of the, I want my kids to like contribute. I want to be contributors, you know? So uh, I'm like, hey, you're five. I got you this dustpan. I got you this little, <laughs> little brush here. Simple thing, when, when you uh, get done eating, guys, all I need for you, you know, there's a bunch of crumbs on the floor, and I know, it, dad's getting old, back's hurting, so can you just go down there and uh, sweep up a little bit? And I'm telling you, whenever I get that dustpan out, and I'm like, okay, Elle's here, she's my six-year-old, she's, she's down there, but then there's still one dustpan that's still here. Um, where did Ava go? And so she runs as far as she can. And there are times where I can't find her. I don't know where she went. I'm like, is she, did she run out of the house, go down the street? Where's she at? Here's the thing about God and running from the presence of the Lord. We can run and hide, but he knows where we're at. He's not like me. He's not like me where I'm like, I really don't know where my five-year-old went right now. Like, this is really troubling to me, right? Like, God knows where we run. 
And what's the reason God comes after us like this? It's because his love is so much bigger than ours could ever be. See, his love in this moment is both for Jonah and the Ninevites, and it's meant to stretch Jonah because Jonah does not love uh, like God loves. He doesn't love like God loves. And you know that thing, you, you, when you think about prophets, or when you think about pastors, you're like, man, those are like the people who like love God. But here's the thing. This exposes how much he doesn't even love God in that moment because he's running from his face. And there are moments where pastors struggle with the same thing. But you know what it is? It's God that's the hero every time. It's God that runs after rebellious people, prophet, pastor, whatever. He runs after with his unrelenting grace. And so the third point is this, a needed message. Verses five and six. It says, then the mariners uh, were afraid and each cried out to his God and, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the prophet came and said to him, or so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Here's the picture here. These mariners on the ship, they're in this huge storm. And again, I don't know if you've been in a storm out at sea in a boat. You are very vulnerable in that position because the sea has the, the power to capsize you, to toss you. But here's what we find out from the scripture. It was God who did it. It was God who did this. And so he's stirring up the ocean. And the first thing that these mariners think is this, that this is God who's doing this. God is stirring up the ocean, so let's just do anything we can to appease our gods. Let's toss things out. Let's make sacrifice. Whatever we need to do, they are desperate. They're desperate. But they're desperate for the true God, the real God, the God who has the power to calm the storm. See, but Jonah was content with going to the inner parts of the ship and sleeping away. He was complacent to the fact that he knew the true God while they didn't. They can figure it out. I'm just gonna try and sleep this away. You, saw, you know, there's probably this moment in Jonah's life where he just kind of feels like, man, can I just be a normal person? Can I just be normal? Like, I, you know, like this prophet thing, like this title, like calling from God, like I just want to go take a nap. Can you just give me a break? But God was trying to shake him a little bit because he'd become, become comfortable with God's word. 
and that he really didn't see a need to share it that much. His focus was on himself. It happens to the best of us. His focus became about him. And these pagan mariners were more in tune with their personal need for God than Jonah was. As Jonah was running from the presence of the Lord, they're up there screaming, saying, God, if you're out there, help us. Help us. And so they are shocked to find Jonah sleeping. But here's the thing that Jonah knew that they didn't. He knew why the storm was happening and he knew the God who could stop the storm. You know what's been identified as the problem with the American church? It's not as much that we have this like anti-God nation as much as it is we have a country that is complacent about God and his word. Uh, There's this article I read recently called The Great Opportunity, and it talks about this. It it paints this picture. It says, what is the church going to look like in 2050? 2050. What's the church going to be like? And it said, basically, that the bottom line is the next 30 years will represent the largest missions opportunity in the history of America is the largest and fastest numerical shift in religious affiliation in the history of the country. Even the most optimistic scenarios, Christian affiliation in the U.S. shrinks dramatically. And in our our case, or base case, over one million youth, at least nominally in the church today, will choose to leave each year for the next three decades. 35 million youth raised in the families that call themselves Christians will say that they are not by 2050. This is the single largest generational loss of souls in history who are nominally raised in the church and no longer call themselves followers of Jesus. This is not a gradual shift as in Europe, listen to this, and also fundamental different. Uh, We do not believe this is the result of secularization, but indifference, indifference to the word of God says the need is urgent. The last millennials are now nearly 20 and all data suggests that most people settle on their religious affiliation by 25 with the door closing by 35. Statistically though, perhaps not ultimately, we've lost much of the opportunity for millennials and the first wave of Gen Z is now entering college. Now, so this is, this is an article that does research study statistics. And it says that the biggest problem with the American church is indifference. You see, as Jonah runs to the bottom of the ship, he was just kind of indifferent about the spiritual state of the people that were at the top of the ship, doing everything they can to find God. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's, That's the simplicity of what God's called us to do. You see, it's a needed message just like Nineveh needed the message, just like the, the mariners on the ship needed the message. just like Jonah needed the message. We all need the message of hope that comes through God's word. But are we gonna stay indifferent to that? 
And so just some quick takeaways. The first one is this. Realize God's now purpose for you. Right, as it talks about the now-ness of Jonah and his calling, and he ran. We need to ask ourselves as we read this text, are, are we resting in past accomplishments and spiritual highs with God? Have we currently settled for just living content? In March of 2017, the Gospel Coalition wrote an article entitled, How John Piper's Seashells Swept Over a Generation. And here's what it says. It says, standing on stage in front of the perpetually moving crowd of over 40,000 college students, with a damp wind in his face, Piper began, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. You don't have to be smart or good looking or from a good family. You just have to know a few basic, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal truths and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them. And then he laid out this comparison. He said, three weeks ago, we got the news uh, from the church that uh, Ruby, who was in his church, Laura, were killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80 single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor and the hardest and most unreached places. Laura, the medical doctor in the Twin Cities, in her, and in her retirement, partnering up with uh, Ruby. And so they were pushing in their 80s, going from village to village in Cameroon. The brakes went out. Over the cliff they went died instantly. And then he asked people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s almost, who their whole life devoted to this one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. He says, is this a tragedy to the crowd? 40,000 students. So the crowd answered, no, it's not a tragedy. Piper said, and he says then, um, he read, this story that he got from Reader's Digest. He says this, he said, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when at, 50, at 59 and, and, and she was 51. Now they live in uh, Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot boat, play softball, collect shells. And then he looked at the crowd and he says, that's a tragedy. And he said, I plead with you with all my heart, don't buy that dream. Don't buy that dream. As a last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did, here it is. Lord, my shell collection? I've got a good swing? Look at my boat? Then he challenges the crowd and us today. And he says, don't waste your life. Do you see the now-ness of how God wants to use you? And do you see that God's word is constantly coming forth and speaking? Realize now that God is calling us. Don't run any longer. Don't waste your time in this world. But run to him. Listen to him. Obey him. The second takeaway is this. Run to God, not away from him. Right, naturally, our hearts are running towards what we want. We're seeing our desires and we're like, man, I want that over God. 
Matt Chandler says it well in Explicit Gospel when he says, the marker of those who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when they stumble and fall, when they screw up, they run to God and not from him because they clearly understand that their acceptance before God is not predicated upon their behavior, but on the righteous life of Jesus Christ in his sacrificial death. See, what's the thing that keeps us running from God? It's the feeling that we're not good enough. It's the feeling that I, I'm not doing enough for God or I don't, I don't have my life together. And so it's what keeps us away from wanting to look God face to face and say, God, I'm here. And so that's why God had to come from heaven to earth and say, hey, I'm searching you down. I'm coming for you and I'm going to do everything that you need to become righteous. That's the gospel. The message of Christ is that God pursued us, died for our sins, raised from the dead and looks us in the eye and says, you are forgiven. Because for some of us, I mean, myself included, we look at this week and we look at the things that we might have done or said or thought. We say, how could I look God in the face if I did that or said this or whatever it might be? How could I look God in the face? It's because Jesus already paid for whatever it is that we are so hung up on. He already paid for it. And so as we receive Christ, as Christ is our righteousness, like like we talked about last week, we stand before this holy God and say, God, I know I don't deserve it. I know it's purely grace because even the prophets needed grace. And so I stand before you, God, and say, I'm here. I'm here. See, that might be the simple thing that you need today is this, that God actually wants you to run to him like a child runs to their father. That's how God loves you. That's how God loves me. And he proved it by what Jesus has done for us. And the last takeaway is this. Remember the need around you. Remember the need around you. Charles Spurgeon once said, he says, if I never won souls, I would sigh till I did. I would break my heart over them if I could not break their hearts. Though I can understand the possibility of our earnest sower never reaping, I I can't understand the possibility of an earnest sower being content not to reap. I cannot comprehend anyone of you Christian people trying to win souls and not having results and being satisfied without results. Just being content. Like, well. See, what this is is encouragement that there are those that are around us in our circle of influence in our lives that do need Jesus, that do need to know God, that do need to hear the gospel. They do need to hear that God came and loved them right where they're at. And so I ask you, ask for God's help to see the need around you. Pray for new eyes and a new heart for your neighborhood, coworkers, family, friends. You see, that's what the, the flourish training, the gospel trainings that we're doing before service, September 16th, 23rd, and 30th, that's what they're all about. It's like, how do I take the gospel, the message of Christ, what he's done for me into my workplace, into my neighborhood, just being good news to people and sharing the message of Christ? See, 
We need to remember the need that's around us. Here's the gospel for us this morning. It's this. What we see as we study Jonah is this, that we need a better Jonah. We need a better Jonah. He, he doesn't, he doesn't f- live up to the qualification that we say, yeah, this, this is what it looks like to live. See, if Jonah is the hero of this story, Nineveh is in deep trouble. It's in deep trouble. And if we're the hero of the story of our lives, then we're, we're in deep trouble too. See, we, we need to be exposed, just like Jonah. See, God is not calling you to be the hero of your story. He's calling you to trust him as the hero of the story. And what that first takes is exposing the truth about ourselves and then saying, here is the gospel. Here's the good news of what God's done for us. See, the gospel message is this, that even though we've all run from God, we've all run from God. The good news is that God graciously ran toward us. And Isaiah 53, 6 sums it up this way. It says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Even though we've run, God has run towards us. And that is the message of grace today. And so if you need a sign from heaven, he already came 2,000 years ago. It's the message that God loves us. And so let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that as we look at the life of Jonah, we see that we're not too different. I'm not too different. I know that I'm a person, God, who is in deep need of your grace and love. But thank you, Lord, for not just saying that you love us, but showing it, showing it in the most radical way of giving your very life for us. And so help us to see Christ in all of scripture and that he is the hero of every story. We thank you for the calling you've placed on us. I just pray that your uh, spirit enable us and help us in our weakness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.